That uh, song uh, that Promise and Emma have just sung may not be uh, familiar to you. It's called Lift Every Voice and Sing. Originally uh, written by James Weldon Johnson, first performed publicly in 1901. It's a hymn, a hymn of thanksgiving, a hymn of hope, a song that speaks of the weariness of slavery and the oppression of authority that longs for the moment when the people will know true and lasting freedom. It's a hymn, yes, but it is also a protest song, a song that screams out for the plight of those that have only known, as the song sings, the chastening rod and the dark days that are upon them. A song that looks forward to a God who is able to deliver and redeem, restore and renew a broken people. The song uh, was originally written, like I say, in 1901, but it actually found its fame much later in the hands of artists of color through the years of history as they took that song and began to apply it to their context. It's become known actually as the Black National Anthem and has been sung uh, over many, many times uh, in our history. A song where people are willing to say, that what's happening right now is not right, it's not wrong. It's what's happening right now is the reality of the situation and, and that reality is unjust and that reality needs to change and, and yet the change comes because a God comes. Are you with me, church? The change comes not because of some people taking up arms. The change comes because a God comes because there is advent. The coming of God. You know, when times are hard, when times are tough, humanity has a way of holding on to hope. And that way is found so often in song and music. Throughout human history, song and music has been used to tell a story, to speak of the reality of the present and the longing of the future, to declare what is happening today and the expectation of what could happen tomorrow. And so throughout our human history, protest song, song in the midst of struggle and trial has risen up and given humanity hope. We can think quite recently of the black gospel music that raised up from the plantations in the south as the people cried out from their slavery. We can think perhaps of the Jews in the concentration camps in Germany using the Psalms as songs that would speak of the liberation they longed for. Or even more recently, we could think perhaps of the rattling sound of punk music as it rose out of Europe in rebellion to the industrial revolution that was gripping the place. These songs have a grittiness to them, a realness to them, a, a, a way of shaking the dust off of a, a weary people and giving them a sense of hope for their future, hope, if you will, for the oppressed. Protest songs so often are aimed at those who are in power, either warning them of the things that will come or, or asking, petitioning for them to change, aimed at them, those with power and authority, to make changes for those who feel under oppression. Much like, for example, uh, this song from the 1960s revolution.
are like, oh, Bob Dylan, greatest ever songwriter. The young amongst us are like, that guy sounds creepy. Who is that? Are you with me? Dylan writes this incredible song and speaks boldly and straight up to those in power in his day, calling them to wake up and change or some change might be coming to them. Sometimes protest songs uh, don't speak to power, but speaks to cultural moments, things that are happening in society around it, maybe uh, things that are ethically looked at as being wrong and beginning to call out for change, uh, much like uh, this example, for example, written uh, in the 1970s and directed at the Vietnam War. Now, that's why I'm a pastor and not a dancer. <laughs> that's Edwin Starr being blunt as he can be, but really, really, really funky. War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Songs of protest, songs that gather the heart of the people, uh, oftentimes can be aimed at power, oftentimes can be aimed at the cultural moments around us, but more often than not, they are actually simply telling a story, telling the story of a broken people, a story of an oppressed people wanting others to know of their plight, but within that story, weaving a narrative out of it of hope of freedom, of better times to come, of things changing in the future that can change the situation of the present, much like, for example, this song, one of my favorite all-time songs. Listen to this. Virus, yes, Sold to the merchant ships. Minutes of a day to cry from the bottomless pit, but my air was made strong by the end of the Almighty. We forward in this generation triumphantly. Quite beautiful, isn't it? A song of a man speaking on behalf of his nation, trapped in colonialization and white slavery and wanting to be free, being honest with the journey that has brought them to the land that they are in and yet saying this, won't you help me sing? Because all we've ever really longed for is freedom, redemption songs, songs of redemption, songs of a people crying out to be redeemed. Think about that for a sec. Songs for those that long to be set free. 
as we enter Advent today, one of the things we have to be really honest about is I think so often we've gotten Christmas wrong. If you look at your Christmas cards, if you look at the nativity plays that take place, it's all about the happiness and the kumbayarness and this, oh, isn't it wonderful? But we need to realize that the historical backdrop, the cultural and social and political situation of the first century, if you were a Jewish person, was dark and dangerous and difficult. That that very first Christmas was draped in the shroud, if you will, of oppression. A group of people who were living oppressed within their land, occupiers in their very land. People who were longing, crying out for change. The Jewish people in the first century were in this tension of how do we live alongside of the occupiers in our land? How do we get on with them? How do we make life work here? And yet, when will the Messiah come? When will God step in and act so that we could know true redemption, true freedom, and true hope? You see, the Jewish people for 400 years had been hanging on to songs of redemption, hanging on to words that were crying out about their situation, longing for God to come. And they knew that God would come to free them as if it was like the breaking of chains. The prophets in the Old Testament spoke that when the Messiah comes, he will break those chains. And so Daniel and Isaiah and many others begin to bring a a voice to this reality. Have a look at some of these examples here before me uh, on the screen here. Son of man, they cry out. They're, They're waiting for one that would come like a human to help liberate them from their slavery. He'll proclaim freedom for the captives. He's gonna bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim the year of God's favor, release from darkness the prisoners. Can you sense the imagery and the language? Oh, God will come one day and set us free from the things that we are enslaved to. And that very first Christmas, this is the backdrop, the need for God to act in very dark and very difficult times. So perhaps it shouldn't surprise us that in our Christmas story that we're presented to in the Gospel of Luke, that very first Christmas, the story is told predominantly through four songs. Songs that story tell the reality of the people and the longing that they have to be redeemed. And so the four main characters that weave through that story, Mary, Zechariah, a host of angels, and Simeon, a man who was living in the temple at the time. These four main characters bring a song in that first Christmas. A song not unlike those of Dylan of Star and of Marley, a song that would say what's happening right now is not right, but there is a God who can come and make it right. The advent, the longing for this God to come is captured in the beauty of these songs, songs that don't accept what is happening right now as the reality that always needs to happen, songs that root themselves in an idea of coming freedom. And so Mary sings a song that brings hope for the oppressed. Zechariah sings his song about rest for the weary. The angels proclaim a beautiful song of peace for the troubled. And then Simeon comes and speaks about the light that there can be for the lost amongst us. 
And in all four of these, you have songs from different people within Jewish society. You have songs from a different collection of people, songs with a different story and a background, but all embedded within the oppression that they're feeling. And these are songs for the not-so-holy, for the ones that feel like they haven't got it all together. Ones that are overwhelmed and fearful. Ones that are in a place of uncertainty. These songs, if you will, are songs we need to hear again today. As we stand here still in 2021, looking towards 2022 and trying to find hope in 2022 and yet facing the ongoing realities of the virus, a new form of the virus now called Omicron. Doesn't that sound really scary? Omicron. It's like, a, it's like a corporation of evil coming to get you, Omnicron. <laughs> and then our travel, what about our travel? Like we can't think, we don't think we're going to be able to travel again and for a long time. The quarantines are still going to be here. We're trying to step into 2022 with a positive foot, but the realities are perhaps we need songs of freedom again. Songs that could express something of the heart of God for this world at Christmas time. The first song of Advent comes from the lungs of a pregnant teenage girl, shamed by her family, rejected by her fiancé's family, who will eventually need to give birth in the cold, damp darkness of a cave filled with animals. Songs for the not-so-holy. We know her, of course, of Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we look at Mary as this amazing figure of holiness and perfection and beauty and wonder. And yet when Luke introduces us to Mary in the Advent story, she's not like that at all. In fact, she, she's just a Jewish girl under the oppression of an empire wondering whether there will be ever hope for her and her family. And not only that, but then this angel shows up, angel Gabriel, and, and Luke introduces us to Mary with this great fanfare of this lowly girl, teenage girl, and this incredible Gabriel angel. And Gabriel says to her, oh, most highly favored one, guess what? You're pregnant, and you're carrying with you not just any child, but the one who will take the throne of David, the one who will be established for all kingdoms, for all eternity, it's in you. And Mary's like crickets. She's like, really? And not surprisingly, perhaps, she's overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed with fear. She's wondering, how is this going to work? She has lots of questions. Most of them are about logistics about pregnancy and stuff. And so she says to Angel Gabriel, how can this happen? Because I'm a, I'm a virgin. And Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the child that you're carrying, it's amazing what is about to take place. And, and even your cousin Elizabeth, in her old age, even she's pregnant. Because nothing is impossible with God. So Mary, a couple of months later, getting pretty pregnant, shows up at Elizabeth's house for tea and cakes. 
And as she walks into the home, Elizabeth is so overcome by the presence of the child in the womb of Mary that her child leaps in her womb and she feels the onrush of the Holy Spirit. And she's so overwhelmed with the obvious glory of the reality that her Messiah, this longed for, hoped for, liberator for an oppressed people, has walked into her room, walked into her house. And she's so overwhelmed with this. She's filled with the Spirit. And Elizabeth begins to prophesy over Mary and prophesy over this child and say, this child is going to be the changing point of history. This child is going to bring in a new era, a new time where God has acted again to save his people. And in the wonder of this prophetic moment, Mary, all the dominoes suddenly fall together. All the pieces of the puzzle seem to suddenly come together for her. And she also is filled with the Holy Spirit. I would love to have been at this tea party. This would have been great. She also is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scripture tells us that she begins to sing a song. A song of freedom. Redemption songs. Songs for the not so holy. She sings. When I am blessed with the Holy Spirit, I don't sing. And you should be very happy about that. But as she is overcome by the work of the Spirit in her life, she gives voice to a song. She wants to tell a story. She wants to exclaim what is about to take place because she realizes that if she is a part of God's plan, then God is saying something prophetically to the world. She understands that it is the lowly, the shamed, the forgotten, the rejected who can now stand up and give a voice to salvation and hope. She understands that people just like her, not so special, struggling in life, actually have a song they can now sing. I want you to know in this room, no matter how you are feeling, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how you're entering into Advent, no matter what is taking place, you have a song to sing. And the question I have for you was the question in the video Do you hear it? Do you hear the songs of redemption? And he writes, as he writes about this song of Mary, he puts it like this. I love how he puts it. He says, it's the gospel before the gospel. A fierce, bright shout of triumph 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. It goes with a swing and a clap and a stamp. It's all about God and it's all about revolution. And she writes, capturing the idea of what this song is. It's not a... It's a... Come on. Change is a coming kind of song. I'm going to read that song to you. And you better be stamping your feet and clapping your hands. Otherwise, you need more protest songs being played for you. Are you ready? Everybody Okay. You guys look a bit in shock. It's all right. I'm a nice guy. Luke 1, starting in verse 46. Mary says this, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state, the lowliness of his people and his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things. Things for me. Holy is his name. 
This is where she begins to stamp a little bit. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. Oh, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Oh, he has filled the hungry with good things, but sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham. Abraham and his descendants, even as he has said to our fathers, can you hear me sing? Now, thank you. Very kind. Um, This is a pregnant, unmarried teenage girl saying some pretty social, politically dangerous things. I mean, I mean, did you hear the language she uses? I mean, she says, scattering the proud. She says, pulling down those who rule and have authority. She she, she talks about the idea that the wealthy, those that seem to have everything, are going to go away empty. And those people that have nothing, they're going to be filled. But she doesn't say this to try to get Israel to pick up arms and fight against the Romans. That is not what she's doing. Because I want you to see the beautiful thing. Although she's saying there's bad times, and although she's saying there are people that are oppressing us, she then flips it and says the help is not in us, but in God. She talks about his mercy. She talks that, that he's holy. She says that he has done mighty acts for us. In other words, there is one in our corner who is more powerful, with more authority, with more goodness, with mercy and grace, and he's at work. And she's like, I'm literally carrying the one who's going to usher in a new era for us all. And this song is so beautiful because it gives us three very succinct but clear and important themes for Advent, for anyone who is wanting Christ to come to them more and more. And that's a question for you as we start Advent in 2021. Do you long for Christ to come near? That the name of Christ at Christmas time, Emmanuel, means God with us. And the question is, is that true? Do you sense him? Do you know him? Do you feel him? Do you want him to come closer to you? Are you anticipating Advent, which just means coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I want to show you the three ways that Mary cries out in her song for Jesus to come. The first one is this idea of God as Savior. Let me read the first verse. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, it's really interesting because for us as Christians now, we hear the word Savior all the time when we come to church, and it's almost heard so often for us that we've come to sort of misunderstand, I think, the weight of it. It's a very common word for us in 2021 in the church, but it was not a common word that was used very often in the first century because the word came with a lot of weight, with a lot of baggage. If you said that word, you needed to mean it. That word was reserved for talk about the Messiah. And by the time you get into the first century, there's been 400 years of silence for the Jewish people, 400 years where they're wondering if the Messiah will ever come. And so if you were to use the word Savior, which links directly to the Messiah, well, you better have something to say about him. Otherwise, keep your lips sealed. 
So this is, a, this is a dangerous word she uses here. Now, the word savior in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, simply means to be rescued or delivered. In fact, it's sometimes translated rescuing or delivering in the Old Testament. It's the idea that only God has the ability to step in and to save me. Not specifically always talking about how we often think about it. It's in like I need to repent of my sin and be reconciled with God. Although, of course, it does mean that. But when Mary says it, before Jesus on the cross, when Mary uses the word, she's talking about liberation and deliverance. She's talking about a world-changing event. She's saying God is the one who can change everything. She's drawing primarily from Isaiah chapter 55 to 63. Now, Isaiah 55 to 63 is all talking about the coming of this Messiah and what's going to happen when this Messiah comes. And the word that's repeated most in that section of our scriptures is salvation. Let me give you just some examples on the screen here. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. My arm will bring justice to the nations. Can you hear the future hope of this, right? My salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. That's almost like sing a song, people. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Salvation is at hand. Loose the chains of injustice. Untie the cords of the yoke. Set the oppressed free. Break every yoke. For I will forgive your sin and turn away from you no more. This is the prophetic idea of what salvation was all about. Salvation from our enemies physically, but more than that, salvation from our sin that holds us captive. And in Isaiah, when Isaiah is saying there is one, God is saying in the future, coming soon, will be one that will liberate you, save you from both your enemies and from your sin, which is the ultimate enemy, that one you call Messiah. So she starts the song with that word just to stir up a bit of controversy amongst her people. That Messiah, he's coming. Because God indeed is about to prove he's a deliverer of his people. I wonder if that's how you think of Jesus as you end 2021. I wonder if that's been your experience this year. I wonder if that's been your prayer. I wonder if that's been the song that's been on your lips. God is my deliverer. I think so often when times are hard, when times are dark, we often end up a little bit like Israel. Israel, who for 400 years were wondering if this Messiah would ever come and have begun to distance themselves a little bit from hope, begun to distance themselves a little bit from the reality that God could be a savior. And this is Mary essentially going, this is a wake-up call, Israel, a wake-up call that he has not given up on us. He is indeed this deliverer. And just because we've had to wait so long does not diminish the power of his character. He will deliver And set us free. I think this is interesting because for us in cold, dark, uncertain, fearful, overwhelmed times, I think so often the last thing we remember is God is our deliverer. And we begin to look for other things that deliver us. Alcohol, sex, money, internet, squid game, whatever it is. Are you with me? We look for other things, don't we, to be our deliverer because we forget that actually It's God who is the true 
deliverer. This is why, and this is powerful, when we forget to be mindful of God in our hard times, God is always mindful of us. This is why she says here, for he has been mindful of the state, the humble state of me. She talks about the reality that God has been mindful of her, even though she may have given up on him, even though she didn't really fully understand what was going on. God had not given up on his people. God had not forgotten his people. He's ever mindful. Mary is drawing from Exodus. Is this okay? Everybody's all right? Am I going too quickly? I feel like I'm speeding up a bit. All right. This is Mary going back to Exodus chapter 2, where God pulls back the curtain. He sees the slavery of his people. He comes down and he says, in my compassion, I have compassion because I have seen my people crying out in their slavery. In other words, I've been mindful of my people. This is Mary many years later saying the same thing. We're still in slavery, but God is mindful of those who are in a humble state. Some of you in this room need to know that God is mindful of you right now. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever you're finding hard, you perhaps distance yourself from him. He has not distanced himself from you. He's mindful of those who are in a humble state, who are lowly, which is wonderful. Because so often as Christians, we think we have to get perfect before God takes notice of us. We think we have to brush up all of our sin before God's going to be doing something for us. We think if we want God's blessing, then we have to act or be or do in a certain way. The great story of Christmas, the message of Christmas, is that Jesus was born into a dark, damp cave to tell us that he can be born to the darkness of our hearts. Before we're all cleaned up and nice and shiny, He's been mindful of the lowly state of his people, and he has not left us in that lowly state. I want you to know today, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what sin you're struggling with, no matter what mistakes you've made, whatever regrets that you carry, whatever baggage the enemy would try to lay upon you, God is mindful of you. He loves you. This is the message of Christmas and Advent. He's come for you even when you were still a sinner to set you free. Ah, thank God that he's been mindful of the lowly state of his servant. So I can sing of a redemption song. The second thing she does is she talks here about God having the power of transformation. Let me read this to you from verse 50. It says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She says this beautiful thing. She says there's mercy in God, mercy in his heart. The mercy here, the the Hebrew is basically, or from the Hebrew, the Old Testament, which is where she's drawing from. The, The word literally means loving faithfulness. There's a faithful love of God for you, a faithful love of God that is unlike anything for you. And that loving faithfulness of God extends to those who fear him. Again, another Old Testament reference Fearing him just basically means to humble ourselves before God, to recognize that he's in control, we're not, to recognize that he's the power, we're not. Fearing God is this humble submission to his authority in our lives. She says when we do that, we have one whose loving faithfulness never gives up on us. This is a wonderful thing. But Mary is also willing, as an unmarried pregnant teenage girl, to also say to everybody, not just 
a note of goodness. Oh, he's been mindful of those who fear him. But also a note of warning. Because if you don't fear him, there's trouble. And she gives these examples. She says, you know what he does, does to the proud? Oh, the proud get scattered. You know what he does to the rulers, the ones who lorded over everybody? They are brought down. You want to know what happens to the wealthy that don't look after the poor around them? The wealthy that hoard it all for themselves and are selfish? They will go away empty. But those that are hungry right now will be fed. That's our God. Merciful to those who fear him, but those who are unjust, those who don't hold his character, those that don't live in the ways that would please him, these ones, watch God come to set the oppressed free. This power of transformation, this reversal is quite powerful because this is the first time in the New Testament where we begin to see a picture of Jesus' ministry. We know that Jesus will come and live a ministry of inaugurating the kingdom of God, a kingdom that turns everything upside down, a kingdom that changes everything that happens. And, And Christ would preach himself on the Sermon on the Mount. I've come so that these reversals, these changes can take place. The mourning amongst you will rejoice. The poor in spirit will know the kingdom of God. And he begins to lay out the Beatitudes, this beautiful idea that in God's hands, reversal takes place. Change and transformation happens. Those that were first will be last, but the last will be first. And before any of that takes place, Mary carrying the very one that would do it sings a song of what he will do change and transform. Now, as a faithful Jewish person in the first century, you would hear this song and immediately you'd be like, woohoo, God's going to act to tear down those rulers in front of us. Woohoo. We've longed for that moment. But they would have completely missed what she's saying here because what she's saying is this. We have to be really careful that those that were oppressed when they gain their freedom, don't become the oppressor. And we shouldn't think that this is all about the nasty Gentiles and the wonderful Jews. We need to realize that this warning is for all of us, that we might be in a position of power one day. How are we going to lead? We might be the ones that actually end up enslaving others, that we got to be really careful to fear the Lord or the reversal will also happen to us. This is a song of triumph, but it is also a sober warning to a people that have been longing to be free, to not abuse the freedom they're about to receive. Stay fearing him is what she's singing. And if you do that, you can know that it'll always be loving and faithful to the humble of heart. Third thing he says is this, that God is in control. Look at the last few verses here. She says in verse 54, he has helped the servant, his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is really important. She doesn't basically say, look, this whole idea of God coming and saving us, delivering us from both our enemies and sin and redeeming us, all of this is not a new idea for God. 
She, she very importantly links this all the way back to Abraham, back to the very founding father of the Jewish people, all the way back to that moment in Genesis 12 where God shows up and says, your descendants will be like the many stars and, and you'll be a blessing to all nations. She goes right back to there and she says, from that very moment, God has been planning this moment. It's not a new idea, but it is a new season. It's not a new idea, but it is a new covenant. It's not a, a new idea, but it is new wine about to get poured into new wineskins. There's a, a, a whole history of redemption that God has been working his way towards. And she's basically saying to her people, isn't it amazing that we get to live in this moment where that actual longing for Messiah breaks in? Oh, would we sing a song of those who are not so holy but have hope in a future not so distant. How much more then, when we think about these three ideas of salvation and transformation and sovereignty, how much more then should we here in 2021 sing this song? How much more us who have seen the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, us who have the story written down for us in words, but the story also encountered in us by the Spirit of God. How much more for us who have had 2,000 years of church history where the Spirit has been at work in the church declaring the song of freedom and liberation. How much more then for us should we now sing? hear and sing well. Jesus would say these words to those that would follow him. Those that have ears, let them hear. And there's this song that sings out at Christmas time, a melody that goes forth to the world of a king who has come to save us and save and deliver us, not by saying, hey, some insurrection needs to happen, but by simply saying this, I'm willing to die so that you can know life. One who's willing to lay down his life for the sin of this world so that we might know forgiveness and reconciliation. One who raises from death to show us that death doesn't have the final say. One who sends his spirit to fill the church so the church would know the power of resurrection, not just on the pages of the book, but on the beating hearts of their lives. Ones who can then go into their society, their context, and begin to live out that hope like never before. As we go from 2021 to 2022, as we prepare over the next four weeks to arrive in Advent, this arrival of Jesus coming to the world, how much more should we stamp our feet, clap our hands, and declare a song for the redeemed? A redemption song. Maybe not like Bob Marley's, looking in the ways that he did, but like Mary's, declaring a God who saves, transforms, and is in control, even in Hong Kong in 2021. Can we sing a song of redemption? Let's close our eyes and let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, so grateful for the coming of your spirit the coming of Jesus for that Christmas and the stable and the songs. And Lord, we now come to you as your people, grateful for Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
who faces a crisis pregnancy (laughs) that's not understood by those around her and yet by the power of the Holy Spirit is able to declare before all her people that salvation has come, will come, and is coming. And Lord, as I stand before these incredible people both online right now watching this, wherever they are, and those in this room, Lord, I declare over them as well that that coming Jesus is here. And perhaps you've come in today and you didn't know Jesus and maybe you've been invited by a friend or you're curious about spirituality in this time. I want you to know that there is a Savior who has been mindful of you, who knows you better than you know yourself, knows all the good you've done, the bad you've done, the ugly you've done, and a God who says none of that truly matters because my son, Jesus, has paid already for it all. A God who now extends his mighty arm as Mary sings about. He's done great things for you. And so if you're here this morning and that's your reality, I want you to know that this God is available for you to meet, to be in relationship with. And he extends an invitation to you. And that invitation is simple. It's just you to say, Jesus, I I need you. I want you. And it's really a simple prayer to pray. Just, Jesus, would you come into my life? I'm sorry for the things that I've done that have hurt you and hurt me and hurt others around me. Would you forgive me, Lord? And would you help with the power of your spirit for me to get to know you? So just three things, acknowledgement of God, asking for his forgiveness, asking for his spirit to help in your relationship with him. And we'd be happy to pray that prayer with you after this service, if that's you, if you'd like to make that prayer. You can make it on your own in this moment. You can make that standing with us in a moment as well. We want to help you in your journey if that's you. And for the rest of us that are already Christian in this room, may Mary's song shake the dust off of you and cause you to walk out of this room with your head held a bit higher, knowing that there is a song to be sung, regardless of your situation or circumstance, a savior, a transformer, one in control, and you can find your hope always in him. Father, we just thank you for this and give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Everyone says, would you stand with me and we're gonna just finish with a song very appropriately, a way of singing out like Mary did of God and all that he's done for us. So let's spend some time in worship.